You are listening to Radio Ramadan 365 Podcasts. Welcome to Millennium Discourses with Sajad Yub and Sheikh Ibrahim Skaitama. Discourse 27, Who Am I? Most of us tend to think that our biography defines us. We are who we were in the past, where we came from, our history, etc. But is this reality now? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. <clears throat> this is a very important thing for somebody to wrap their head around. Uh, because it's, um, it's, it is, I think, one of the principal tools we can use to escape the prison of our biographic stories, you know. Um, so there's an expression in Afrikaans uh, of somebody who uh, people would say that of themselves, and they're normally stubborn people that use this expression. The expression is mark and staan," and that means I was made like this and I was left like this. In other words, this is how I am. You know, um, you know, the person is a complete uh, um, uh, boor. They completely rude, and and they just this is who I am. Take it or leave it, kind of thing. Mm. Now, this idea that I was made like this and left like this actually doesn't uh, it doesn't recognize the degree to which you participate in the making of yourself on an ongoing basis. Um, so uh, in the work that I do sometimes, there's a particular piece of process that we do called the sharing of biographies. And I'll, I'll give you a, just a little thumbnail of how that process works. <clears throat> it's quite a lengthy piece of process. You need quite a period of time. You put three people together in a group. I mean, you need at least half a day. Mm. And you get each one of them to um, uh, write down the 33 points, the 33 events that they think have made them who they are today. So that's a reflective thing they do before the exercise, maybe the evening before. They go back to their biography and say, well, you know, what have been the formative events of my life that have produced who I am? And um, you give them license to, you know, do a whole dump, maybe write down 100 events and then edit them until you are down to the 33. The number 33 is, is, not, relevant, is not significant. I mean, it's just, you know, 100 would be too much, 12 would be too little. I mean, you need like a reasonable amount of material. Then you put these people in a room, these three people, and you say to each, each person, so the exercises, each person has a turn to go. When a person goes, they talk through the story of their biographic account, event by event, and in a spirit of disclosure and openness. So, um, and the other two just listen, basically. This has already got quite a therapeutic effect, but very few people have actually had the opportunity to speak through their biographies in this way. So um, each person then speaks through their biography. And that normally takes about an hour to an hour and a half of process time. And most of that is a monologue. I mean, the person's talking. I mean, maybe the, 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 the 
their colleagues in the group might ask a question for clarification, but they are enjoined not to say anything other than asking for clarification. This person must have the stage. Once the person has had the stage, you then ask each person, each of their mates to uh, reflect on the story they've heard. And if we said this was a, if the, the, this was a, an author who's just told you the plot of a book, but he's struggling to find a title, help him, give him a title. So each of the, the mates in the group come up with a title to the book. That's, that's the process. Then these people come back in plenary together, and then they, um, uh, each person is asked to come up with their own title. You know, and that title will normally be uh, informed. I mean, you can see it's informed because they say, this is the titles that I was given, and this is my own title. So you can see their own title is kind of informed by mm -hmm. the titles that the others gave them. So you have a, a, a logical piece of process that says, the night before I sat down and I thought of the 33 events that have made me who I am, the events have made me, right? Then I spoke about those events. Then I was given three uh, comments on what the story should be. And then I decided on my own. So, the, you know, I think four steps in the process. And then the question is, so in this process, what has informed what? And then people would say, well, logically, it was my thinking last night that produced the story that I gave. Well, first of all, it was my actual life that produced the events that I thought of last night that then produced the story that I gave today, that then produced the feedback that I got from my colleagues, that then produced my own title. Well, doesn't it occur to you that possibly what happened was exactly the other way around? In other words, you know, you didn't, you didn't end up with a title to your life, you started off with a title to your life. I mean, why did you choose those particular 33 events rather than any other 33 events? Do you know what I mean? I mean? That means to say that you already had an editing mechanism going in your mind that made you choose those rather than any others, you know? Hmm. So, so if the title to your life was the one who struggles against all adversity, this heroic thing, you know, <laughs> then, then clearly that's what you did. You chose 33 events that, that justified that model that you have for your life, you know? So, so it is not what you did right now, which is the product of all the things that have gone before. All the things that have gone before, the product of what you've done right now. It, it's not the story that informed the title, it's the title that informs the story. I mean, so, being a bit provocative with you, I can give you a title. I can give you any title, any conceivable title, and you will find 33 events in your life that will vindicate the title. So I could say, Sajad, the kind person, the model, of, and you will find 33 events that will justify that story. I could say, Sajad, the sadist, and you will find 33 events that justify that story. I would say, Sajjad, the pervert. And you will find you are an ocean of possibilities. You've lived long enough. 
It is not the story that tells you who you are. It is you who tell the story what it is. Yes. Your biography is not, you aren't the product of your biography. Your biography is your product. And it's a product mm. that you actually, you're rewriting consistently over and over and over again. You know, that is one of the great freedoms that we've been granted as human beings. Mm. You know, otherwise, istighfar would be nonsense. I mean, you couldn't say, cover this, you know, make it irrelevant, make it the insignificant part of my life, if that wasn't a possibility. But we know istighfar is a truth, it's a reality. You can say to your Rabb, look, cover this. I, I, make it insignificant. Make it like it wasn't. Does it, let it disappear. Make, you know, because what, when, you, when, you, when you're narrating a story, you're not, I mean, you, you're not telling me your entire life because it'll take the entire life to tell your entire life. Do you know what I mean? So I had this for breakfast. And, I mean, you know, yeah. no, that's not how it works. You are by, to tell a story, you're doing an edit job. When you're doing an edit job, you are designating what's significant and what's insignificant. Yes. You're not doing violence to the truth by doing that. I mean, I could have access to different datum points about your life than you have that tell me you're actually, um, you're actually a mathematical genius. How did you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, so, and you, you can read my mind. <laughs> so, but on the other hand, I mean, that's not the view that you have of your life, you know? Uh, uh, so, uh, you know, which story is the true story? Who says mine's any less accurate an appraisal of you than yours is of you, or of you, or the other way around? You know, so mm. um, the the uh, <clears throat> uh, we we constantly write our biographies, and we constantly change our biographies. Mm. I mean, that's why there's also a limit to the usefulness of the great confession. I mean, this is not an Islamic, we're not meant to take our ills and put them out on the world stage to display. That's why we have Istifar. You know, um, uh, it was, uh, it was um, you know, um, the, you've know, you know the story of the Rasul Sarasim was approached by a woman who had uh, committed adultery and he, he looked, he, he, he didn't want to hear the confession. And, um, and then finally, when he did allow her to, and then pronounce the, the sentence, um, he cautioned people and said, you know, ask for the mercy of your Rabb. Mm. You know, I mean, ask for it to be covered. We all get up to mischief, you're a human being. Don't make your mischief your story. Mm. You're not being, to, I mean, you're not being untruthful. You're not being duplicitous by softening the focus on your misbehavior and sharpening the focus on your... No, this is not a, a grand PR job. You, know? this, you have to do that. You have to decide what you're going to edit and what you're going to make the truth of your life. You know? I mean, I could, you, right now, I mean, if you're a human being like I am, I can find enough stuff that you've gotten up to, real mischief that you've gotten up to in your life, that would make your life unlivable if you kept on being reminded of it. Mm. 
I mean, it's just, you know, I mean, you know, um, and so, so you don't have to make that your story. Choose your biography, choose the title to your story. And then obviously try and live up to that, that title. You know, I mean, your biography doesn't produce you. You produce your biography. It's not your past to do that defines you. You define your past because you define what's significant in the past. You decide what needs to be pulled into foreground, made perceptive, and what needs to be pushed back into background. What do you want to make istighfar for so it goes away? So it's not your story anymore. That's not being duplicitous. That's not being untruthful. That's not being dishonest. That's being human. So, so um, I mean, so this is a very important thing to remember. It's a very useful skill to remember, particularly in a world that is so harsh on this issue of consistency. You know, I mean, we like to make say that of others. Oh, but he's so inconsistent. He doesn't lift up to his own preaching, for instance. I mean, <laughs> and I, I mean, so who does? I mean, you know, is this the point? You know, um, that doesn't mean to say you've got license to continue, continuously and deliberately misbehave. But, it's, you know, I mean, I'm human. I'm son of Adam. I'm, I'm fallible. Hmm. I will, you know, I, you know, it's, you know, it's like this thing of being a moral person and wanting to hmm. find absolute rectitude in everything that I do. Is is um, I mean it's unrealistic. It's it's you know it's not how things work. You know because I I recognize. I mean so metaphor for this is. I know where the north is. Hmm. I also know that I should be journeying to the north. I also know where what the compass looks like, and I know how to read the compass. You know the north is hmm. over there, right? And so when I see you doing something that's going to put you in the south. I said, Sajjad, no, 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 the north is over there. None of this suggests that I'm in the north. It only suggests that I know where the north is and where you and I should be going towards. But to say that because I articulate that there's a compass and I know where the north is, that every single action of mine now is consistent with being fully in the north, that's just completely naive. And that's, that's actually, it's exactly that kind of nonsense that produces the sort of mealy-mouthed, sanctimonious Islam that we have today, the sort of people sitting in kind of moral rectitude and kind of, you know, making issues of moral concern, the, the, the length of your trouser legs and the length of your beard and your fingernails. And I mean, you know, where's it going to end? You no longer have a life eventually. You know, everything is just subordination to this little formula and then what you have sitting behind this a person is busy congratulating themselves about how moral they are you know i mean that you talk about hubris so you are not the product of your biography your biography is your product there's an immense freedom given to bunny adam we should accept it with both arms. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. So it seems that from what you're, so what you're written about human beings, we get to define who we are as human beings and what we want to define ourselves is the lens that we look at our lives through. Is that what you're saying? 
Say that again. Sorry, Sir John. I, so I so it seems from what we yeah so so it seems what you've written that as human beings and what you've said earlier on we get to define who we are as human beings and how we want to define ourselves is the lens that we look at our lives through is that what we're saying here is that what you're no. saying yeah i think that is right and um, then you also said that we can define ourselves through our biography so, so you see, <clears throat> well, no, no, you define your biography. You don't define, you're, you're not defined, whether you, you might think you are. Yes. Hmm. Because most of us do. Yeah. You know, but We're actually, no, time, yeah. you, 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 you are, which, so one of the implications of this is there's never too late to have a happy childhood. Oh. No, because I'm so... <clears throat> If you look at, I mean, mercy, I've had the mercy of, of, of having and the privilege of having listened to many, many people talking through the biographic accounts, and because I've been doing this for well over two decades, so I've heard a lot of stories. I mean, I've heard a hell of a lot of stories. Most stories that are stories of travail and of suffering actually start off with an unhappy childhood. And what's interesting about the unhappiness of the childhood is that the reason for the childhood to be and to be designated as having been unhappy are really as as polymorphous as the human being. I mean, we can turn anything into a curse. It's like the story of your Prince Harry, your Prince Harry, <laughs> uh, this uh, who has gone to press saying, you know, his privilege was such a curse. I mean, he's actually gone to press mm -hmm. saying that. But the matter, man, just one wonders how naive can the man be? You know, so, so my basically being indulged is my curse. Another person says being brutalized was my curse. We can turn anything into a curse, you know. Mm. So whenever you maybe, find somebody, carry on. Maybe Prince Harry needs to listen to this. <laughs> maybe um yeah so so the point i was i was making that with all of these accounts that i've listened to if there's a count that truly and i mean it's, it's heartfelt i'm not suggesting the person is being duplicitous because they're not they really believe the story and it's a believable story and but when it's ended up in a place of travail now that story of travail starts off in China. Mm. It's always um, an, an abusive uh, parent um, uh, or a horrible experience with a uh, step parent or a, a bad boarding school or uh, some story of. Right. Mm. Now, one can say, okay, now, now, with absolutely every event in your childhood, miserable no were there some events that were actually quite pleasant at the time probably okay well let's try and think of some so you ask the person to find at least 10 events that were pleasant um the the smell of cooking in grandmother's house as you walked in it's a very unique smell or um sitting 
next to uh, a sibling on a high hill, some watching the sunset one day. It was something like that, just a number of events. How about making that the truth of your childhood and not the other things? Mm. Doing istighfar of the other things and making this thing the truth of your childhood. Now you've just, without lying, without doing anything duplicitous, you've just changed an unhappy childhood into a happy childhood. That puts you in a completely different place today. Because now that you've had a happy childhood, you no longer have a grass. You don't have an issue with life. Life has been wonderful. Which means to say you don't have to look after yourself. You no longer you don't you don't you, you don't have to you know, do, do do somebody in in the market to kind of cover your wickets because you've now just you've you've affirmed that no no my life has been good. I don't have to take I don't have to be mean. I can you know I can be afford to be magnanimous. So that reinventing of your past is a reinventing of your 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 now and your future. Because you're translating a narrative of resentment for a narrative of gratitude. That translation piece is not doing violence to the truth at all. It's you deciding what is significant. It's you, it's you telling your past what it is. It's not you assuming that your past is telling you what you're not realizing that you're holding the story in your mind of the sorry story. And you're finding all the data and points in your past that confirm the story story. We've all suffered. There's no, you cannot be an adult surviving human being without having suffered. This is not possible, you know. So the one person is, this, these is, as I said, you know, your Prince Harry has got his, his privilege as the source of his suffering. Other people have got the degradation as the source. We've all suffered. Are you going to make those the significant points of your life? Or are you going to make other points the significant points of your life? Because that is translating an unhappy childhood into a happy childhood. It's never too late to have a happy childhood. You owe it to yourself to have had, to have, a, have had a happy childhood. In fact, you don't owe it to yourself only, you owe it to the rest of the world. Because while somebody's got an unhappy childhood narrative, you can't trust the bugger. Because he's going to get up to mischief. Because his fundamental narrative is, I've been done in, I've got to look after myself. You know, If I don't look after myself, nobody else will. Look, I've got all this evidence from how I've been ill-treated in the past. Amazing. So it seems that, you know, that we're saying that we have a choice in defining ourselves and we're designed to live our lives in a happy way, as you described. Exactly right. Exactly. That's exactly right. So, so we, we have a choice as to the meaning that we ascribe to what has gone before us. Now, <clears throat> one has to be very careful because it's such an obvious insight once you've seen it. It's one of those things, once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. You know? I mean, after this, if somebody starts telling you about that their life is miserable because of a miserable story, you're going to find it difficult not to giggle at them because, you know, isn't it obvious? I mean, you, you, I mean it's like a man's putting his hand in the fire and he's screaming that he's burning. Well, take your hand out the fire for heaven's sake. You know, I mean, not necessary. So, from one point of view, it's an incredibly obvious and simple thing. But like with all of these things that are concerned with deep truth, hmm. the simplicity belies a real difficulty. Hmm. And the real difficulty in this matter is that the commentary that we hold about what the nature of our lives is, 
or are, I've got the wrong word now, but th that commentary is not, doesn't only exist at a sort of um, conscious, deliberate level. You know, um, I mean, I could say to you, you ask me, how am I today? And, and, and I've got no, no kind of cause to complain because I've had a good breakfast. I did have a good breakfast. So no, I'm fine. I'm fine. But deep inside, there's like a disquiet that isn't, and I'm not entirely fine. Um, that, you know, and, and um, I'm also now manufacturing that disquiet. But I'm not conscious mm -hmm. of what I'm saying to myself and at what level I'm saying that to myself to know why my body's behaving like a frightened animal. You know, your body's very clever. You know, your body hears messages your brain doesn't hear, your conscious mind doesn't hear. So, mm -hmm. so um, you know, um, but that doesn't mean to say your body's uh, is, is, uh, is, is necessarily accurate because it isn't. I mean, if, if so it's the metaphor of throwing a snake at somebody, you know, that's um, not a real snake, a rubber snake. I'm assuming you've got a bit of a phobia of snakes. Most of us do. No. You don't. Okay. No. All right. Well, can, can we play that you do? Okay. Just, just, okay. Right. Um, right. <clears throat> so so I, I come with a, and, and you, you have cobras in Pakistan. Eh? You have, you do have dangerous so. snakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I come with one of those sort of Indian cobra type. I mean, really scary stuff, like a big king cobra, but it's not real. It's rubber, but you don't know. It's, it's very realistic. I walk into the room and I throw it at you and you go into a complete panic, you know? Now, yeah, big fright and, and la ha ha, big joke. It's just an illusion. Now, this is true. I mean, the snake was not a real snake. The snake was illusory. There was nothing illusory about your fright. Mm -hmm. All of the blood chemistry that's consistent with real flight was produced. Your heart went racing, your kind of your, your, your sort of your hands went sweaty and there's nothing artificial about the fright experience. The snake was artificial. So we do the same things to ourselves. We just don't realize we're doing it. We do the equivalent of throwing rubber snakes at our, this poor creature, this body of ours is like a mule that so diligently carries us around and does all this stuff. We keep on frightening the poor thing by rolling rubber snakes in front of it the whole time. Oh my God, what if I lose my job? Oh my God, what if my children become drug addicts? Oh my, and so it just goes, ah, 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 you know? And then we wonder why the poor thing falls over of a heart attack by the time you're 65. Well, you've been frightening the thing out of its wits for your entire life up to this time point. You see? <laughs> so these little messages that we keep on giving we don't know that we're giving them. With the, it's waswas. It's whispered deep in our being. It's very quiet. Very, you know, you're not mm. consciously aware. Your body's aware though. Your body hears them. So a very good <clears throat> skill. So if a very good skill to develop when you're doing this thing of reinventing your biography is to listen to your body. Mm -hmm. Because your body is hearing a narrative that you're not conscious of, but that you are producing. It's like part of it's not like part of your dream world. It's a depth. It's being whispered a depth of your being. So you ask me how's my day? It's a perfectly good day. So actually, no, it's fine. But when I so why don't I feel fine? I mean, I won't say that to you because I'm yeah, I'm an angel, obviously. But uh, but I, if I'm honest with myself, 
you know, I don't feel fine. I feel a bit nervous today. What am I? I can't tell you actually. So what is the message I'm giving myself? That's the real work of reinventing biography. It's not mm. as simple as just redoing the story. You can do that consciously. But then you've got to do the mining work of the bits of narrative that you maintain about the nature of your life that are deeper than what you have conscious access to. They are subliminal. And that's one of the reasons why we can describe the process of, uh, of, of your spiritual development, of becoming self-aware. In other words, aware of what's happening in the self, aware of this multi-layered reality, um, taking the, the vessel of your, what, what you're conscious of and stretching it so that you become conscious of more and more of what's going on inside you, because it's only once you're conscious of it can you make a decision about it. You can't make a decision about something you're not conscious of. SubhanAllah. And we must discuss that at some other juncture in time as well, more about this course, because it sounds fascinating. Alhamdulillah. On that note, we've reached that point. Jazakallah khair. Thank you so much again. And salamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa Listeners, you are listening to Millennium Discourses. We will be back tomorrow with another topic. We would like to thank Etzko Skatema. Till tomorrow, Allah Hafiz from us all.